My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. At that time, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together were Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We also will come with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. So he said to them, Cast a net over the right side of the boat, and you'll find something. So they cast it, and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from the shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging the net with the fish. When they climbed out on the shore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore, full of 153 large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over and took the bread and gave it to them, and in like manner the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter answered him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He then said to Simon Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Amen, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you lead you where you do not want to go. 
He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. Over the last few weeks, some friends of mine have been posting pictures of themselves online returning to the places that they went to college, but this time with their children who were visiting and trying to decide whether they want to attend these schools themselves. And that's quite a brutal realization that you're now the age of your parents when you were when you went to college, but you'll learn that in time. <laughs> but apart from that, it was interesting to see and just read the reactions of people seeing them posting pictures of, of buildings that they had lived in, statues that they had passed by during their time that still make up the landscape for students today, even shots of academic buildings or libraries, which despite the passage of time and advancements in technology, still look pretty much the same as they did decades ago. Most people who go through this experience of going back to places from their past find that the different sites even the smells of some of the buildings years later can unlock a whole flood of memories almost instantly. And it can happen to any place that made up part of your life, whether it was a house that you grew up in or a neighborhood that you lived in before you moved. Or maybe the, the place you went to elementary school as you find the classrooms where you spent your formative years of childhood, which seem so much bigger then than they do now. Or maybe the fields you learned how to play a particular sport and practiced and played your first games. It's been a few years for me since I stepped foot on the campus of the Sales University where I went to college. But every time I have, it's been an incredibly unique experience for sure. While the number of buildings has probably doubled since I graduated in 1995, every building that was there over 25 years ago is still standing and most of them haven't changed that dramatically. And it can be really strange seeing some buildings somewhat frozen in time down to the curtains and furniture still being the same. But what's more fascinating to me is going back to these places, you can't help but find yourself revisiting a younger version of yourself. And that was particularly true for me walking into the chapel, which might not be surprising to you. The chapel was an especially meaningful place for me when I was in college. The building itself was designed in this bizarre 1960s architecture. It was constructed as a round circle, which had all the rooms on the exterior ring where the priests would live. And then in the middle, there was a separate structure that was in the shape of a, a triangle, and that made up the chapel. And it had these little mini courtyards in between, which allowed like natural light to come into the chapel, which must have made the landscapers very happy to have to go in and take care and maintain over the years. But this bizarre little building, this triangular-shaped chapel, pretty much everything is the same, down to the pews creaking the exact same way they did 30 years ago. And whenever I visit, I remember praying there the first time I visited that campus and trying to figure out, is this where I wanted to go to college? And feeling very much at home. Or thinking of the days and seasons where this is where I shared with God my excitement of being in college or my broken heart when a girlfriend had cheated on me, or my anxious mind worrying over a final exam that was coming up or a paper that was due. 
I don't know if any of you can relate to that feeling right now, but the years where I learned to hear the Lord's voice growing louder and clearer from a whisper to a far more definitive voice calling me to share his priesthood. There's something powerful about going back, going back to these places, yes, but more than that, because it's more than just nostalgia. It's the closest experience to time travel that we'll ever experience. Sometimes you think, I wish I knew then what I know now. Sometimes you're grateful you're not the same person you were then. Sometimes you wish you could go back in time and maybe do things differently. These places that had been such a part of your life at one time become these places of great remembrance and reflection. And that's what makes today's gospel such a powerful one for us to pray with as we continue in our Easter season. Because we find Simon Peter very relatable to us as he's doing this very thing. Simon Peter starts off that gospel passage just announcing, I'm going fishing. But that gesture, the location, the context tells us a whole lot more than just going, in, going out fishing for the afternoon. Peter's going back to the Sea of Galilee. He's going back to the place where he'd grown up and had experienced a a carefree childhood in a beautiful setting that was very meaningful to him. But he's also going back to remember his former life when he was just a fisherman before encountering Christ, calling him to be a fisher of men. And it's not hard to imagine why. Simon Peter is a wreck. His heart, his mind, his soul, his very being has gone through an emotional roller coaster, likes of which have left him just disoriented and lost. Just put everything in perspective. Thinking back to a few weeks prior to this event, he witnesses Jesus raise his friend Lazarus back from the dead after being entombed for four days. Peter was there when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and witnesses this exhilaration and shock of his family and friends who instantly moved from inconsolable weeping to now terrifying joy. Peter is there days later when Jerusalem, all these people are cutting palm branches down as Jesus is entering the city and they're they're calling him the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for centuries. A confirmation of all the hopes and dreams the years that he had followed Jesus was being ratified for him as the crowds were chanting Hosanna. And yet, in a matter of a few days, things would change dramatically. This Passover meal, something that traditionally families celebrated together. Peter would find himself with Jesus and the other 11 who had become his brothers in a family unlike any other. That Passover, which became Jesus' last supper, where Peter has his feet washed by Jesus. He's ordained as one of Jesus' first priests. He experiences the Eucharist for the first time. That upper room is filled with an intimacy clouded in, in mystery and emotional weight as heaven and earth are united and unveiled in all these new ways. And yet hours later, it will seemingly vanish in very real sadly familiar and utterly human ways. In human weakness, they'll find themselves falling asleep 
as Jesus is with deep emotion praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wakes up and he witnesses the evil betrayal of one of his brothers, Judas, as Jesus, the one that Peter and everyone else, he thought, loved, is being betrayed by him. And as the madness begins to spin out of control, Peter goes from his very human impulse to defending Jesus by grabbing a sword, which results in the guard's ear being sliced off, that Jesus has to pause his arrest, miraculously heal the wound, and fraternally correct Peter, reminding him of all that he had taught him, all that he had called Peter to, to hours later, Peter fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that Peter himself would deny three times even knowing Jesus. That moment of revelation as Peter spoke those words of denial takes place just a short distance from where Jesus suffers abandonment, abject evil, lies being leveled at him, beginning the horrific torture followed by the humiliating and excruciating death of Good Friday. And even though Peter has now seen the empty tomb and he's encountered Jesus risen from the dead twice over the course of a week, he's feeling lost. Therapists today would say, that's been a lot to process. Where does he fit in? Does he anymore? Does he even belong with the others? Jesus had called Peter his rock. And he's certainly not feeling that sturdy or secure in himself. So Peter's going back to a time and a place where he did feel secure about himself. Where he knew who he was, what he was capable of. He's going back to the Sea of Galilee, back to fishing. Peter finds what so many of us find. We can go back there physically, but we're not the same person anymore. Those memories might be consoling to experience or perhaps a distraction from what we're going through right now. But so much has changed. So much has happened since. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. As Peter announces he's going fishing, the inner circle, probably the closest of his friends from the 12, men who also knew this sea and knew this life and shared those early memories, they invite themselves to come along. And what happens next is they don't simply revisit a familiar place and do familiar things. They find themselves reliving a pivotal moment in their life in which everything changed for them. They spend this night fishing and they catch nothing. So all those emotions that they had which drove them to return to this place are now coupled with further exhaustion and probably frustration. And then this voice calls out from A man on shore invited them, put out the net again, one more time. And it results in this catch of an abundance, this miraculous catch. And that was precisely what happened when Jesus had first called Peter and these men to follow him back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. It's not time travel, though. Simon Peter's not the same man he was that first time that happened when he fell to his knees and said to Jesus in response to that miraculous catch, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Words that were uttered out of shock and awe of what he had just experienced. 
No, on this particular day, he's probably remembering those words. But this time, Peter can't say anything. He's remembering how he's proved that true. I am a sinful man. And that's why he was going back there in the first place, back to where he probably thought Jesus should have left him in the first place. But Jesus didn't make a mistake. Peter did. Peter made a lot of them, to be sure. But Jesus didn't make a mistake in calling Peter to follow him. And he won't allow Peter to hold himself captive to those sins, to those mistakes. He doesn't want Peter to remain hung up on his past, whether the distant one that he's romanticizing or the more recent one that he's holding on to and holding him hostage from experiencing the joy of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And that's precisely what Jesus is addressing as he asks Peter three times, do you love me? As Peter observes about Jesus, you know everything. But Jesus wants Peter to know. To know that the love Peter has for Jesus wasn't something in the past. To know the love that Jesus has for Peter isn't either. So he lets Peter confront his three denials with three confessions of love. And it's in that confession that Peter's going back to this place, goes from maybe running away from his mistakes or escaping to a a simpler time in his life, to remembering when his life was changed on the Sea of Galilee. And now that Jesus is risen from the dead, he who was dead lives forever, is constantly making all things new. Peter is redeemed and he's transformed by following Jesus. And now the, the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus first poured out on them on Easter night and commissioned them to go and offer in his name, now Peter is able to accept that himself and recognize the urgency for him and the 12 to follow Jesus' example, to follow his commission to go out and do the same. Jesus' final words in today's gospel, first directed to Simon Peter and the others, are spoken in the present tense. Follow me. It's important to to recognize our past, to even sometimes go back there and remember the good and the bad. But Jesus' resurrection isn't just a historic event that took place 2,000 years ago. He's risen, and he continues to say, follow me. And when we do, that's how Jesus truly becomes the way, the truth, and the life for each of us. Follow him, secure in our identity, as God's beloved sons and daughters that we received in our baptism. Follow him to this altar to receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist to nourish us on our journey. Follow him even when we stumble and we fall and we don't feel worthy to anymore. But going to him and confessing our sins and receiving his absolution and forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation so that we can get up And resume following him and continue to witness to the world how Jesus continues to make all things new.